an unhappy person, but I kind of, I said to myself, as long as I keep busy, and I think that's the reason why I would go out and share my faith so much and why I worked a full-time job and why I, I tried to do so good in school, because I didn't want to be left with my thoughts. And that's how I, that's how I handled it while I was in the church. Welcome to the Reclamation Podcast. My name is Aldo Martin. And I'm Cousin Eddie. And together, we're going to explore what it's like to be in and leave a religious cult. For more info on the Reclamation Podcast, find me on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook at Aldo B. Martin. That's a really interesting thing. Because... There's a lot of people who are still involved with the church who are like new members, like just joined last year, maybe, whether it be the ICOC or the other iteration of it. And and sometimes there's also people that want to leave, like right now they want to leave, but part of it is they're afraid because there is no exit strategy. There's nothing outside of the church that can hold their interest or that they're afraid to do. But you're saying that prior to you leaving, you consciously made a decision to get involved in different interests and yeah. hobbies. Yeah. Different interests, different hobbies, uh, meeting different people, you know, put myself out there to um, do stuff that, that wasn't necessarily all about the church. Um, I mean, I even started, you know, dating girls who were outside of the church. And once I really started doing that and I saw that the church wasn't for me, I made a decision. I, I remember I went to, went to service. I walked up to the minister and I said, can I talk to you? And I said, you just talk to you in private for about 10, 15 minutes. And we went to the back of the church and I told him, I said, I'm leaving. And I remember I've I haven't cried much in my life, but I cried during that conversation. Really? Yeah, because I knew that I knew that this was the end. And this was a significant part of my life. You know, I've been a part of this church for ten years and I consciously sat and I remember like tearing, I was like, I'm done. I, I can't do this anymore. Those tears, were they tears of sadness, anger, happiness? I think sadness, relief. I remember I remember having that conversation and I also remember um making phone calls to close friends of mine who were part of the church and telling them who were in different regions that I was leaving. Wow. You did that. Mm -hmm. What made you want to do that? Manage expectations, you know, some of the the women who who were in a church who I was sincerely good friends with, I called them and I was like, look, you know, if you still want to be friends and you still want to keep in touch, great. But I need to let you know that I am no longer a member of this church and I no longer, I'm no longer going to follow the Bible. And I was very clear about that to people. Um, that's um that's interesting because for many of us who left we just faded to black, and so for you to have this <laughs> exit strategy and then make the, uh, the 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 final contact 
so to speak. <laughs> Are you still with me or what? <laughs> yeah, yeah, essentially. <laughs> yeah, my man was Drake in 2000. What year was this? 2006? Yeah. It's before Drake. Is you with me or what? Look at this guy. Now, what was the leader's response, though, as you were speaking with him? He said, you know, I'm, I'm sorry to hear this. I definitely want you to stay. Uh, he started to talk about, because he knew my aspirations, somewhere in the back of my mind, I still wanted to be a minister in the church. And I knew it wasn't going to happen because, you know, the stuff that I was being selected for, when I felt like I was on the path, that wasn't happening. And, you know, so he started to talk about that and and then he said, he's like, you know, you know, I'll, I'll be in touch. But then my boy Mel told me that <laughs> that he had to go to service and check this dude because uh, the Tuesday for a midweek service, he told the church that he expelled me. Time out. <clears throat> Sunday service. After service, the sermon, you approach the leader. And had a conversation with him, and you told him that you were leaving the church. Yeah. To which he responded with, I'm sorry to hear that. I would like for you to stay. And then he he started to equate your leaving with perhaps it was because you did not get recognized to be in leadership. Is that what he was suggesting? I wouldn't say that but i think he wanted it I, I do think it was a manipulative ploy where he was saying you know i know you want to be a leader and um you know maybe we can kind of but he brought that up though yeah. you didn't i didn't bring that up he brought that up he brought that up that's what i'm saying it sounds as if he is under the impression that you were leaving because of that yeah Otherwise, why would he say it? Yeah. Okay. So maybe, maybe not. But then he said, all right, we'll be in touch. Yeah. And you left. Yeah, I left. And two days later on a Tuesday. Yeah. Midweek service in the evening. Mm-hmm. He makes an announcement to the congregation. Yeah, that we had to expel the immoral brother. Because I told him, I said... You know, I'm out here living, right? And I'm not going to fake this. So you didn't, for me, when I found, I found out about it through my boy Mel, who a week later went up there and gave that guy an airfall. Mel uh, did? Yeah. Nah. Yeah. Okay. He went up there and checked him. <laughs> what was that response? <laughs> he went up to him and said, he's like, you're lying. He said, you, you didn't mention his name, but you didn't expel him. He told you he was leaving. Yeah. He told you that. And he's like, I know my friend. I know he wouldn't lie to me. He's like, he told you he was leaving. So you didn't expel him. And that was unnecessary to do. How did the leader respond? I don't, I don't know. But Mel had your back. Yeah. Good for Mel, man. Yeah. Good, good, for, good for him. I, I think that's, that's awesome. That's a sign of... A real friendship because one of the themes in this program has been 
at least in the first season, how it's all about relationships. People joined this group because of some sort of sense of belonging, stayed in it because of that. And despite all the muck through the muck and the mire, real friendships and bonds were made that lasted over time, even though people might not speak as often. And I think with this uh, this case of Mel speaking up to one of the leaders on your behalf is is one of them. I want to pivot to mental health. Our group believed that they had the solution to mental health. I recall, and I think you do too, that one of the leaders, one of the leaders boasting about how the counseling services in the church were free and they were equal to the services that you might receive in the world from professionals. You've had your struggles and ideations with mental health personally, excuse me, can you speak to us how you were able to battle your mental health head on? Uh, Inside of the church or outside? Well, I don't think you were able to meet your mental health needs in the church. No, I didn't. Um, So battling it outside, I mean, it's it's a daily battle. But oh no, I see what you mean. I'm sorry, mm-hmm. I misspoke. What was it like battling your mental health issues in the church? I just stuffed it down and didn't talk about it. I probably spoke to when I was studying the Bible. Um, man, what was this study? I forget the name of it, but it's the study where you kind of confess all your sins. Or Yo, something. my man, sin and repentance. Sin and repentance. Come on, man. Yes, <laughs> sin and repentance. And so they asked me, they started asking me about, you know, evil and dark thoughts, right? Like uh, unpure thoughts. And I said, well, I frequently think about killing myself and, you know, just just a lot because one of the diagnoses that I have is pure OCD and pure OCD is a cognitive issue where it's a cognitive disorder where you have uncontrollable intrusive thoughts. Um, so the idea that I want to kill myself, it, my day could be going great. You know, I tell people this when I'm volunteering that you know, I would be on a beach in Brazil you know, and this is all paid for by work. And I'm like, wow, this is amazing. And a thought would come in my head, like, you're a terrible person. You should kill yourself. And I had no power, no control to to stop that thought. So in the church, I spoke about it once. They just kind of brushed it under the rug. And you know, I would just, I would just kind of pray through it, but I would still constantly have suicidal thoughts and be depressed and just be overall just an unhappy person. But I kind of, I said to myself, as long as I keep busy, and I think that's the reason why I would go out and share my face so much and why I worked a full-time job and why I I tried to do so good in school, because I didn't want to be left with my thoughts. And that's how I, that's how I handled it while I was in the church. So while you were in the church, you still had your suicidal ideations? Yeah. And did your suicidal ideations begin in the church or was it prior to? Nah, I mean, as long as I can remember, I've thought about, 
you know, killing myself. I mean, going back to four, like being four years old. I mean, that's the earliest part of my memories. Um, but I can remember the sun shining and me hating it, you know, hating my life because, um, you know, I'm like, I don't want the sun to shine. I want it to be snowing or I want it to be raining. And, you know, even being a kid, I used to hate when, when I would hate the shift from winter to spring because it meant that the days were longer, right? Because I took solace and comfort in night and coldness and darkness and like, that's where I connected. And even to this day, um, you know, I, it was a few days ago. It was really nice. I was like 60 degrees. And just because I've been programmed that way for so long, I was like, oh, no, it's it's becoming spring. And I start getting anxiety and afraid. And I'm like, no, I don't think that way anymore. And I have to, like, reset myself and say, no, like this isn't this isn't who you are anymore. This isn't where you find your solace. You look forward to spring. You look forward to summer. You have a life. You have things to do. Um, you should enjoy these things and appreciate this. Um, so it's a lot of work. Yeah, it is. It's a lot of work. And you see, the reason I ask that is because you know the uh, like I said before, man, the church really believed that its um its its systems were beyond the scope of mental health. And attending to people's mental health needs. And obviously, you were a young man who had needs uh, regarding that. And I think many of us did. Many of us did. I mean, I I wasn't suicidal, but I certainly battled depression for a very long time. And whatever the level below depression is, is probably where I was. Excuse me. Uh, Whatever the level below suicidal thoughts is, is where I was, right? Where I've always operated. So it it really sucked that... um, church was not a place that we could bring that to because it's all about seeking and saving the lost, ain't it? Yeah. It's about putting bodies in the seats. Pray about it. Pray about it. Pray about it, bro. Nobody got time for that. <laughs> Nobody got time for that. That's that's what the uh, response was. But I, I do want to say one thing, and I started to think about this. You know, when we were in the campus ministry, and it's and it's unfortunate that 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 was the message that that minister decided to put out there to the congregation because I drank the Kool-Aid on that. I believe which, that which message are you talking about? The message that you know, you're basically getting free mental health services. All right, talk about that. Through, talk about that. So, Des- yeah, describe that from the beginning. So if you were so if you were in a so if you were married, you know, once you join a church, typically you got paired with someone, right? You got what what, what we would call a discipling partner, a mentor, a buddy. If you were married, you had another couple. A supervisor. Yeah, supervisor. <laughs> you had another couple who you would get together with, you know, maybe at their house or your house. You know, open up your Bible and talk about what's going on in your marriage. And so this older, mature, or... You know, this couple could have been younger than you, younger than you and your wife, but because they were leaders and you were, they were established leaders and you were an aspiring leader in the church, they were teaching you about how to be married, but you've been married longer than them. But now they're teaching you how to be married within the confines of this group. Yes. And it was the same thing, but I wanted to point out, I'm thinking to myself, well, it was dangerous putting that out there because... 
you know, when we were in college, we were all young people trying to figure out our life. Indeed. And we weren't trained therapists. We, like, I've, I, I've volunteered for the uh, crisis text line um, where people sort of, people were in a difficult place and they type in and I would, there was a whole week long training that I had to go through to help people get to a safe space, right? There's, there's questions that you ask. There's, you know, one of the things that I've always remembered is, you know, whenever I talk to someone who's in a difficult place emotionally, I will never say, well, why do you feel that way? I'll always say, well, what happened to cause these emotions to arise? Because if you say why, you're judging them. And now they don't want to be vulnerable. They don't want to talk anymore. But none of us was trained in this. We weren't even trained in crisis management no. and the basics of it. But yet we we set that and it was really dangerous for us to do. And I felt like that shouldn't have been the responsibility of the congregation. No, no. And, and for the leadership to send the message that this is the right thing to do is irresponsible. It did more harm than good. Yeah, I, I think so. Um, I got a few more questions for you. Do you regret joining this group? No, I, I don't regret at all. You said that quickly. Yeah. My reasons why is because looking back on who I was before I joined the church, I definitely had a lot of social anxiety. I was a very fearful person. Um, And I cared a lot about what people thought about me. And, you know, during my time in high school, you know, standing up on lunch tables and, and inviting people to church. Um, you know, growing my hair out. And I mean, I I reached a point in my life where I just, although, although in the church, I didn't march to the beat of my own drum, but I learned to march to the beat of my own drum. Um, because if you're in college, if you're a freshman in college, the last thing that is socially acceptable is for you to be telling people that you go on dates with girls and you don't try to sleep with them, right? That you have pure dates with them, that you read the Bible, that you pray, that you, it, it, it just allowed me to, to develop a sense of who I am. That was number one. And then number two, it helped me get out of that, that fear of social anxiety. Now, I don't fear talking to people. Rejection means absolutely nothing to me because of the number of times I've been rejected on inviting people to church. <laughs> so it's like, you know how many times I've been told no? Yeah, yeah. It's like, your no means nothing to me. Yeah, because you've, 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 you've been built for this. Yeah, it means nothing to me. Yeah, yeah. I, I get it, man. It's it's that it's that confidence. It's I don't even know if the the word is confidence. It's it's being unwavered. Yeah, you know, like all right, cool. Like it's it's you're trying to achieve a certain goal, and there's going to be obstacles. There's going to be no's. There's going to be denials, but that shit don't matter. Yeah, I'm moving forward. And I also think that my time in the church, it, it was definitely definitely helped me in my professional life not from the extent of 
time, but from the extent of learning how to deal with people and also navigate a corporate structure. Because you're, you know, when you start a lot of people, like if you, if you start a job, a corporate job, you, you're coming into a structure. And if you just went to school and you kind of did a little BS internship over the summer, you didn't really understand corporate politics, structures, and how to talk to people and how to get the attention of your boss or the person who runs your group. I felt as if my time in a church taught me all of that because I knew I felt like a worker bee amongst everyone else. I said, let me work hard so I can get their attention. Um, I knew how to get on their calendar if I wanted to talk to them. Um, I knew how to get on their radar. And I I mean, I don't think I was brown nosing. I just had I had aspirations. And, and you knew how to make that happen. I knew how to make it happen. And it translated well to my professional career. Now, there's some people that call this group a cult. There's some people that say that it is not a cult. Where are you with that? I would say it's a cult. Why? All right. So we can go back to before I even knew, before I had ever even went to the church. I remember there was a... What was that show on Fridays? It was either oh, six, 2020. 2020. I remember watching it with my mom. And they were talking about the Church of Christ. This was 1999. Yeah. I remember it. No. It might, no. It was 1998. Yeah. It was I, 1998. I remember watching that special. Listen. We watched it as a campus ministry. We heard about it. So everyone, uh, see, uh, uh, we were on the news a few times and we took that as a badge of honor. We're like, we're being persecuted, bro. Yes, that means we're really the church. And we heard that this news special was coming out. So the whole campus ministry uh, uh, had the Friday night devotional at a leader's house. And all of us were there. I think whatever time the show came on, 8 o'clock, 9 o'clock. 2020 is on um, is on uh, uh, Channel 7 or ABC, and we're sitting there watching it, giving each other high fives, saying, yeah, we made it. They're coming for us. That means we're real. And so I was watching that as a member. You watched it before you even became a member. Yep. And I remember watching it. I didn't fully comprehend what was going on. I definitely remember them talking about the huge events that they put on. I don't know if you guys were doing it. I don't know if they were doing events at the garden, but for some reason I remember them saying that they would have these huge events at, at different um, that was the thing. places. That was the right. Thing. And for me, the reason why I say it's a cult overall is because I was, I understood what the standard was and I wanted to live up to it. And with that came a certain level of commitment and dedication from your time, from 
the way you acted, the way you dressed, who you hung out with, all of that stuff played a role. And you weren't, I wasn't free to sort of make my own decisions. And when you're in a situation where you can't think for yourself, I would definitely call that a cult and that there would be consequences if you didn't adhere to the standard. Dal, my last question is this. What do you want the people to understand? What do you want the audience to understand or to know about your story? What do you want them to take away from it? I would say that my time in the church came at the right time in my life. However, once I realized that it wasn't beneficial, I walked away from it. And it's easy to, I think I stayed for so long because I did have an emotional connection to the organization, to the people, to the mission. But similar to what's going on now with COVID, with this great resignation, you know, so many people work, have worked jobs where they believe that, you know, this is, this is so many people in a nonprofit space overwork themselves and they feel as if they're doing a good deed. They're making a difference in this world, but they're burning themselves out while they're doing that. And during COVID, a lot of people said enough's enough and they walked away because they knew that that job wasn't good for them, even though they felt good about the good work that they were doing. And I think that for me, the church presented itself when I was in a very low space in my life, when I needed direction and guidance, it gave me direction and guidance and structure. However, it stopped serving its purpose for me. And I think I was able to walk away from it and find other things to replace you know, that structure that the church presented for me. Next time on The Reclamation. When did you join the church? Do you remember the year or the time frame? Oh, I remember the day. <laughs> I remember the day that I was uh, met, the day that uh, I, all of it, it's very clear to me um, because it did have such a big impact on me. But I was baptized into the church um, July 8th of 2001.